a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. Out there, the precariat is growing. Do you consider yourself militant? <laughs> I consider myself Malcolm. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Precariat Podcast. Uh, I've been going a while, but um, what can I say? I'm busy. I don't know what to tell y'all. So, uh, But this week, we have uh, Brittany and Kiasha, who are two uh, attorneys here in, in Dallas. Uh, and, I mean, these girls are sharp, y'all. So, I mean, I really enjoyed it. We were supposed to stick to just criminal justice, and we did talk a lot about that. But these girls are so woke, I don't even think they own an alarm clock. So um, I just kind of followed them where they went because they were so interesting. And uh, I think it turned out really well, but we still touch on a lot of criminal justice topics. So uh, I hope you all enjoy it. So uh, here we go. Precariat Podcast. All right. So welcome to the Precariat Podcast. Brittany, Kiasha, welcome. Hello. All right. So uh, this episode, as I explained in the intro, um, is about criminal justice. And it's uh, unfortunate that it was kind of in the news this week. Uh here where I live in Dallas, Texas, uh, because a, a young man was shot uh, and killed, a teenager actually, in Bald Springs. So that'll be something we talk about along with a few other topics um, in that arena. So, um, but first, uh, Kiasha, Brittany, um, you know, what is your superhero origin story? Like, what's, <laughs> what's your, who are you? Where do you come from? Just tell us just a little bit, whatever you're, you know, comfortable with. Well, my father is not Zeus, so I'm not Superwoman. <laughs> All right, well, nobody's perfect. Wonder Woman, I'm not, that's not me. But um, let's see. I have an, I went to undergrad at the University of Texas, Hook'em. Hook'em. And I went to law school at Texas Wesleyan University in Fort Worth. I think it's currently called Texas A&M Law School or whatever that is. I don't know. And I have been an employee of a federal agency um, for the last 10 years. And um, I love the work that we do, uh, but I'm not always able to do it because of whatever administration is in the office. The current one. Um, what else? I think socially and whatever, I'm into pretty much everything, right? So social justice, um, kicking on the weekends with my friends, um, you know, I'm normal. I'm a regular person. What did what did what did she say? Regular degular. Schmegular. Regular degular. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, what about you, Brittany? So I'm from Fort Worth. Kiasha's from Garland. She didn't say. G Town representing. I'm from Fort Worth. I live here in Dallas, like you. Um, I went to. UT for undergrad where I met Kiasha. Then I went to SMU, Southern Methodist University for law school. I just recently, about three months ago, uh, left a, a company where I was the corporate attorney for that company. And I started a law firm where I focus on uh, churches and nonprofits. Um, for, 
I guess, volunteer activities. I'm very involved in social justice. I actually had a clemency case that was a um, clemency for anybody that's not familiar with. The word just means mercy. And it was just uh, people who were sentenced under under um, sentencing guidelines that are no longer applicable, um, working their cases and trying to get them um, adjudicated. And so I had I had a clemency uh, case. I worked with the Jacqueline Craig case pro bono in Fort Worth. Just a lot of different social um, social justice issues and. Uh, yeah, don't see myself working on any anytime soon because I'm like completely drained. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see that, but I mean, that's really cool though. Like, uh, <clears throat> because one of the things we're gonna talk about today is um, criminal justice as it relates to poor people and how sometimes they can get caught up in things that if they had a little more, they could they could get out of. But yeah, so, but I mean, as attorneys though. Um, I guess you guys must see the news a little bit differently since you sort of understand the system better than most people, obviously, um, and and understand, you know, the things that aren't fair. So, like, I guess my first question for you all, it would be, like, what what are one of the one or two things that you see in the criminal justice system that when you became an attorney, when you were in law school, when you were learning about all this stuff, and maybe you came in with one, thinking one way that it works, and by the time you got done and even got out into the world working, you were like, oh, I didn't realize. Okay, so um, you guys remember that show, Perry Mason? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I thought the law was just like that. That (laughs) silly me, I thought that all you needed was a investigator slash attorney who was willing to dig into the background, everybody else, and then on the stand, they can rip you apart and then you're free. Like, oh, I thought that's how it was going to be. And then I got to law school and got the swift reality check that it doesn't work like that in real life. That nine times out of ten, you can't even afford a good um, defense attorney. Shouts out to the folks who do that pro bono and heavily discounted. Like the, the, um, what you call it? Lee Merritt, Jasmine Crockett. All those folks who do it heavily discounted. And, and practically for free, or the uh, public defender's offices, uh, those folks over at um, Legal Aid, that's, that stuff is real, yeah. right? They are inundated with people who need help on a hourly basis, I would say, and you have to have the stamina for that. And it, it's not like that in real life. And then, I thought perhaps I could be of use on the other side of the table. And I realized how janky that is. <laughs> because whether or not you can really seek justice for your victims depends upon who's in office and what their end goals are and what they want. Because it could be to just, let's get let's get this case moving as quickly as possible or let's drag it out yeah. and see if we can convince this individual who may, may may or may not have done it that they just need to take a deal so after getting that little shock to my system you know because I I've always been a huge proponent of volunteerism and so I didn't necessarily have we didn't have necessarily the resources I would say for me to participate 
in clinics or whatever where I could give my time that way. But I always gave back to the youth programs that did, right? So one of my favorite programs was street law. And the number of kids who don't know their basic rights, what they can and cannot do, what they should and should not do, astounded me. So I was like, you know what? I don't think I can do this as a career path just because I know myself and it, it, it does become very draining. Um, but I can volunteer my time. And I thought, well, what's a good way to, you know, put forth my energy as something that I would actually be helping people because I ultimately decided that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I went regulatory. And it was cool. It still is. There are aspects about it that are real, you know, I think it, it comes with being work, working for a large bureaucracy like the federal government, right? Mm -hmm. But it gives me the freedom and the latitude really to do other stuff, to donate my time elsewhere where I wouldn't be able to do that as like a full-on career. I don't think I could take it. Yeah. And really, shout out to the people who do it on a regular basis. Like, they're gangsters as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I think two things that I really... Two things that I thought in 2004 when I started law school that I do not think now is that one, um, I, I think I really um, had a completely different view of the justice system than even like as woke as I was. Like, I was, people used to call me Britney X like in college. Legit. I'm like, oh, rally for the people, you know, viva la raza. And I still you know, probably have the assumption that if somebody went to jail or something like that, they did something wrong. Yeah. Um, not even taking into account that we have like debtors prisons, that people My in a free country, people can go to jail for not paying a traffic ticket, you know, yeah. things like that. So I think that's the one thing, just really seeing the inequity play out in real life. And then number two, with uh, just the over-policing and over criminalization of society period. I just, I had no idea. Like Kiasha said, you represent somebody, um, whether in, in and, you know, they have a defense attorney, whether or not they did it. There are too many it's. Yeah. yeah. There are too many things that are legal and only certain people are pursued. So um, those are the two things I think that, I actually recently went to Greece and I bought the Blind Lady of Justice. Um, Literally, fancy. figurative because I was in Greece, but most but. people get them from Amazon. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> the shade <laughs> that was a tree. Shout out to my travelers. But I mean, the point is that like it was completely figurative. I don't believe there, the yeah. blind, the lady. She has a she, you know, she, she, she can see I... everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so. Um, those are definitely, there was a lot of things, you know, that I was disillusioned about. Like I said, even as woke as I was, like, um, but those two things like stick out to me. Yeah. 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 W one thing I didn't know about until recently, I knew about <clears throat> like them over-policing black neighborhoods and all that kind of stuff. Uh, cause I, you know, had seen that growing up in New Orleans. So, um, I knew about that, but I didn't know about the whole poverty thing that if you're poor and you get in and you can't pay bail or you can't pay whatever it is they're asking you to pay you just got to stay there and then they can sort of force you in not force you no force you yeah it's like i can lose my job or I custody can, of your yeah. children yeah so many things happen when you are captive for 
you know, X amount of time and then you can't. Custody of your children, your job, you can no longer get an education. You might lose your place. You might lose your place. You're arrested, you know. And the the folks who are in charge of that don't care. I would would take it a step further. It's like that on purpose. It's by design. By design. They do care. You know, they care to keep you in debtor's prison. You know, it's it's nothing that's by accident, right? This is by design. And I think that's the that goes back to my two points. Like this is on purpose. Pac said it best: "We ain't meant to survive. It's a set, it's a setup." Yeah. You know, sure. and everybody there's all these memes and respectability politics oh and be the system. Look what's happening to Marilyn Mosby in, in Baltimore right now. They are pursuing her and going after her because she did her job. Yeah. And she or the DA went after those police officers. or the DA in Florida, the 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 the, the state the state DA in Florida uh, that Rick. Scott is going after because he just don't like her because she's doing her job. Yeah, You know, just overall. I know in my, like, because I'm, uh, like I said, I'm from New Orleans, but like Louisiana is kind of ground zero for some of this stuff because I think they lead the nation per capita in prison. What was the thing? Jenna, Jenna, Jenna Six. Jenna Six. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. were an undergrad mm-hmm. when it, like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, but. Not not only that, but they have probably the worst prison in the country. And that's the only oh, prison yeah. in, in yeah. Louisiana, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm sorry for him, but <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So they're trying to figure this problem out right now because they also have budget problems. So, oh, that's more than budget problems in Louisiana. Y'all broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're trying to figure out, they're trying to figure out well because they have been trying to take some policies and to reduce the pro- prison population, mm-hmm. really mostly in New Orleans. Um, but now what they're starting to see is now the sheriff departments are starting to have shortfalls and stuff because they didn't have enough you know, bodies in there and they, they were getting paid for. And so now there's a struggle between the state and the sheriffs uh, in Louisiana for funding because the sheriffs want these prisoners in their jails, so that, and, you know, but the state doesn't want them in there. The state wants to try to release some of the nonviolent guys because they just can't afford to right. keep them there anymore. And uh, but it's so perverted, you know that that anybody would be fighting to keep someone in jail because for money for yeah funding yeah it's 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 evil it's more than perversion it's evil so and then now this leads me to sort of the second thing is how the current Department of Justice seems to be going in the direction of uh, pointing this system towards Mexicans with the immigration stuff. Um, and one article I was reading, it was talking about the extra funding and plans that they have for these different um, facilities that they call them, uh, they don't call them prisons, but they really, right, yeah, right. detainment yeah. centers, that's what they are. But they really are, they're made like prisons, right. you know, the whole thing. So, and they're going to be putting these people in here. So when they try to deport these people or when they catch them, instead of just sending them back, they're going to put them here and then the government's going to pay some corporation uh, to keep them there. And and we've seen that once you start that system of uh, turning people into cash, it doesn't stop, right? Because right? they're not going to, you know, I don't. I think that's. I think Sessions is eventually going to go after marijuana, and I think that's that's the reason why because it, it's nothing has has nothing to do with the legal states. I don't think they really care that much, but they don't want it to be completely legal because that takes another avenue right, right. for them to put people in jail. So. So I don't. Uh, the only good thing about it is that Sessions actually got blocked when they they just did another funding bill, mm-hmm. and he wanted to do it 
like right now with the whole immigration and the marijuana and all that, but they blocked the funding for it because they didn't feel like fighting because Trump is just a terrible. <laughs> he's signed executive orders like like it's nothing, like it's so they terrible. have lots of stuff to fight. Well, the the problem with him is the the problem. Like, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the many problems is not only are his executive orders unconstitutional, so they just keep getting knocked down. But they're not even well written legally. I, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. I just you know junior. Enough. You know enough. Yeah. You know enough. You that you got that junior so and so attorney. You know, barely out of law school, and I say barely because he's got less than 20 years. Yeah. You know, that's a big deal in this arena for yeah. some people, right? So you got that junior esque attorney who hasn't. Did he practice? Did he have any skills outside of... You know, I'm hiding from this administration, so I try not to know. He... I like my sanity. He's lackluster, but he's the one... He's the lead... He's lead counsel. Yeah. The the mouthpiece, the one out there. Oh, you talking about uh, Stephen, Stephen Miller? That's yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's the one who's writing this stuff? I mean, because they got rid of or removed, fired, whatever you want to use the word, most of the senior staff there's nobody with any kind of seniority in this administration who knows what they're doing that's why it looks like no one knows what they're doing it's because they don't they've never done it before the man just fired the head usher for the for the the white house why for what not loyal not loyal but you're missing you're 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 missing that she has 25 years of hospitality experience and has been at the White House since 2011. Y'all already are behind on staffing the White House. That's why it's been lackluster tours and the Easter egg hunt was half put together and so on and so forth. Most because Melania don't want to be there, <laughs> <clears throat> and those are her duties. But y'all are releasing people who know what they're doing because you're concerned about loyalty. But you are not replacing these people, and they don't feel pressed. Yeah. The, this whole administration is about who can support my views regardless of how ridiculous they are and who can do it the loudest, not who has the skill set to get the stuff done. Like if he, was really, if he really knew what he was doing, if he really wanted to get it done, he would hire the person whom he might not like you know, politically or friendly or personally. Like W. Who could get it done? W had the team. He had the team. Get it done. This is what I want. I want shenanigans to happen. Make it happen. And these people, because Washington is the way that it is, could make it happen. But you keep hiring idiots. Excuse me. Well, the weird thing, is, like you just see in every hire he has, he puts loyalty over skill. Over skill. So you can just look out through his whole cabinet, right? I mean, most of them don't have a clue about whatever department. I mean, some of them have credentials, like Carson. He has real credentials. Nothing but in nothing in department. Yeah, nothing in that department. I think I would want him over the department he actually has skill over. I, I wouldn't want part, him there. That's the part that makes I wouldn't want him there either, but at least that makes sense. At least you can say, okay, you have the right stuff on the resume at least. You're just not the right guy. But but yeah, so but I heard uh Bannon uh say President something Bannon? interesting. Hmm? President yes, President Bannon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I heard him say it was that and he said it in public. That's the weird thing about these guys, is there's really nothing new about what they're doing. But the boldness of it is, the, and the in-your-face, even Bush administration, which was pretty bold, was not like this. The 2017 and, style of 
white supremacy, white privilege is bold. Yeah. They're, 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 what do they have to hide at this point? They've been winning for decades. They have won, continue to win. There's nothing stopping them. Why do they have to be in the background? Like, yeah, they're being bold and crass got him in office. That's what the people like. Oh, Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. <laughs> I don't always like to go on the on the Trump on the Trump thing because like I was telling somebody recently that I started trying to because I've gone through all the stages of grief with this. <laughs> like I was I was angry, I was depressed, I did I was in denial. I was like, no, it was the Russians. <laughs> the Russians. <laughs> no. No, these your fellow Americans. That's what they wanted. You know, and so I went through all that and then I finally arrived at acceptance. And I was like, okay, this is what it is. And so we just have to, you know, try to figure out how to manage through it. And, uh, but anyway, I just started to, started to try to understand what these Trump voters were thinking. Yes. So this is what I've been doing for like the last couple of weeks where I would like watch the stuff they watch and read the stuff they read to try to figure out, not necessarily empathize, but to understand. What conclusion did you come to? Well, First of all, well, there's different groups of them. There are just the outright racist guys who that was the part that appealed to them. And as soon as he said he was building a wall, they were on board and the Muslim ban and all that. So, yeah, so that's that's I mean, this is not scientific at all. I would say that's, you know, in the 25, 30 ish percent range. This is like I said, I have nothing to back that up at all. That came literally out of the ass. Yeah, as long as you say it loud. But um, but no, but there were these other guys who were, so there were these people who were just Republicans, who just never voted for a Democrat. And if you think about it, if you're someone who's never voted for a Republican, for if you don't vote for Republicans, there's all the reasons are obvious to you. You can't really imagine yourself, you can't imagine a candidate bad enough on the Democratic side to make you say, okay, I'm going to vote for whoever is coming out of GOP in a presidential election. Uh, so there's that set. And so Hillary was really hated by those people. But then one thing I found is, and this is where it gets silly, there was really a belief, and this is just from the stuff that, I'm re that I was seeing. I was going on Breitbart. I was going on the InfoWars. Yes, I went deep. Oh, God, that made me feel dirty. But a lot of people on there really believe that stuff he was talking about anti-corporatist, anti-globalist, really more of a Sanders-style pitch than anything else. That's what a lot of people grasped onto. The silly thing is that I don't understand how you could ever take him seriously. Because I remember uh, when he was closing out, he made this speech, and it's on YouTube. Uh, it was like his one of his final pitches before the election. And he makes this speech, and he's just talking about policy. He's not on all the BS at this point. And I was listening to what he was saying. I was like, oh, it was pretty compelling. Like, he left all the racist stuff out for once. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty compelling. Uh, I don't believe him because he's been a con man his entire life. So why would he start now? So that was the hilarious part was that there was this, these people who really bought this. And they still do. Like, if you go on there and you read the stuff, they think the Democrats are just blocking him from doing all this Except stuff. Except for it's a Republican Congress. Exactly. Oh my God! And then you like people will bring up because there's like a lot of people within Trump groups that are now starting to sort of split from him because they see that whatever they were supporting him for, he's not even getting that accomplished. 
But so and they always point to like all the Goldman Sachs guys who are the same people who Republicans and really Democrats too always bring in the White House. And they were saying, and their excuse for this is always, well, he's bringing in the people who know how it works. And so that well, way. This cash fresh drain the swamp. He yeah. just refilled the swamp with Swampy. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, and he brought in. <laughs> That's what he wanted. He just removed the old swamp and brought in his new swamp. Yeah, yeah that, so. that that made me unco- like uncomfortable from like a will the earth be here in sixty years perspective. My yeah. God, yeah, you hired did you, you you appointed Rex Tillerson as the as the secret name Rex. You know, Rex, I mean, go again. Look him on the that has been blocked, right, that they did not have access to. That's who you put in charge of the State Department? You thought that was a good idea? Yes, it's a good idea because it's going to put money in my pocket. No, no, not our pockets, their pockets. This This is the thing. Like, he drained the swamp of the people he didn't like and put in the swampiest of the swamp on top of it. And there are still people out there, the Breitbarts and the... Infowars and what's the blaze of the world who say, well, he's just being blocked by, you know, the Democrats are blocking him. This, he has a full on GOP Congress. I want to interject something here because it's, I don't want to, I think that people who are left leaning can um, sometimes paint people who are right leaning as. Like the right leaning candidate candidates are elitist, are you know wealthy silver spoon in their mouth. I mean, besides besides from Clinton and Obama, like we don't have any any presidents who grew up like any of us could imagine. That's true. And even Clinton and Obama have wealth that most of us could never imagine. That you know they Absolutely. actually were able to. So I mean, they're all wealthy. They all like come from that. Most of the most of them, you know, even the Democratic presidents, your Jimmy Carter, is the same as a, as a George W. Bush in the way that they grew up. I was, but however, the policies that they implement are not imminent danger. There's you know what that. I mean? Like the policies are like the policies that left leaning people have. Like, oh, you know, if you if you are you know pro choice, I'm sorry, pro life, and you believe that people should not have abortions, don't knock people up. Take your pill every day. Ooh. You know, and then that's problem solved. But yeah. this man is, and, and, and these people are putting us in danger like with the life, whole world, with the world. Right. With, when I was overseas a couple weeks, I, I saw news. I just turned it off. Like, it was, I saw stuff that made me afraid. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I should go back home. Like, I gotta like, go maybe home. I should, you know, because the way the news is being reported the, there. You as know soon I mean? as so. they find out that you, I was in overseas in November, 
and it they it don't take but a second for them to know that you're American. Not even that you're not. They lay off on you, and they know. boom, you're American, right? And the first thing that I went in November, right after the election, and I it was in an, it was an it was I was inundated with so many people who were like, I feel not only do I feel sorry for you, but what are you Americans doing? Do you not have a clue? This was problematic. We don't. This was problematic for me. I went to Morocco. And I was like unnerved by the number of people who had concern for me in my life and what was going to happen for me for the next four years. That's problematic. Y'all don't think that's problematic? Somewhat. <laughs> Smidge. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, Republican, Democrat, a lot of their policies, you know, look similar, at least on the at least once you get below the surface or whatever, as far as how, who they help, who they really help, who they affect. But this man and his administration, I don't, I don't think we've seen anything like it. Well, I mean, one thing that we don't talk about, and if you look at this week when the house pushed that little, you know, bill through, even though it still has to go through the Senate, the healthcare bill, they didn't need, they did that in like a week and a half. The last one took over a year. Mad about was mad about the ACA. Yeah. I was personal soapbox because I this is what I do. So mad about the ACA and how it was rammed I don't know how many times I heard people say it was rammed down the throats. Da, da, da. At least Obama consulted the Republic he did. He actually he consulted with some Republicans to see what they thought was why the 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 stuff that isn't working isn't working is because that's what it was gonna take for it to pass with those folks. Like yeah. that, the, the reason why. Yeah, that's why I took the public know, option the, out. The, exactly. The reason why the ACA looks the way it does and operates the way it does is because that is the Republican option. That's what it looks like. And that's also why they have so much trouble trying to find a fallback plan. Because you, you know, can't. Because like, because like, oh, this was our thing. So. <laughs> what it looks like. Oops, my bad. And this is the thing is they. It took them a week. They didn't take into consideration their constituency at all, what those people could afford. But why would they? Because most people don't vote. Absolutely. And then the people, and then of the people that vote, most people don't interact with their with their with their Congress people. Uh-uh. They don't talk to. I I don't know how many emails I've been getting from Ted Cruz, but I wish he would stop emailing. emailing. Mine, mine is corny, and I'm corny is my dude. I just I just, I just really want to like stop sending me stuff, but that's because I'm involved. I want you to know that ain't what I asked you to do. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who don't even who don't do that, and I'm not about shaming people for for not voting. In my old age ish, I'm not gonna say I'm old, but now that I've gotten older. that made it sound much worse um now that i've gotten older i understand why people wouldn't vote i i i i I get it i get it too now i completely get it and it's up to the um not not the right leaning politicians right because it they're incentivizing people not for fewer people to vote but it's up for the left-leaning people who say that they're doing these grassroots campaigns People need to see you before you cat before you um, submit your candidacy. Right. Yeah. They need to and, know and there needs are. to be some type of tangible impact on their lives if you're in um, as a middle class person, as an educated person. You know, there I had some benefits from the Obama administration, but otherwise, if I wasn't able to buy a house, I wouldn't have been able. I wouldn't have gotten the credit. It wouldn't yeah. have mattered. You know what I mean? If I 
wasn't working at a company that provided um, pretty decent benefits, then his chain, you know, those things wouldn't have mattered to me. So um, the average person, like, you know, what was the change that you didn't vote for? Your yeah. life is absolutely the same. And then even like local elections, I don't know why anybody would skip a judicial election. Man. But the, especially the black people that stand in front of judges more than anybody. But um, everything else, like why don't beat people over the head saying, why didn't you vote? Why does my street have potholes all over it? Okay. You know, why, why am I over, why are citizens, good citizens over police and bad citizens not? You know what I mean? Like those are the questions you need to ask versus you incentivize somebody to vote. Right. Yeah. And just, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, I don't like, um, even voting from, cause I, I, I see it even from a different perspective because now I've started to realize that the Democrats and Republicans aren't all that much different. Oh my God, yeah. You know, like the Democrats are a little bit better on social issues, uh, but but they even come to that slowly. But they're a little bit better there, and they're and they're not as blatantly disrespectful to everybody. But um, when you look at what actually happens, who actually staffs their administrations, who actually influences them, it's the same thing. I mean, under Obama, defense increased. Uh, you know, and there were cuts to all kinds of social programs and all that kind of stuff. And they were talking about making even bigger cuts in a deal that never happened back when Boehner was in there and they were trying to do the grand bargain. And that's what they called it. It wasn't that grand. <laughs> Depends on who, who who was looking at the bargain. If you're on Social Security, it was not a grand bargain. But, you know, so and Obama did some some decent things, too. But the overall trajectory of it, you know, he still helped Wall Street. He still helped the insurance companies and all those people, the all contractors, you know, all of them still did everything they were going to do, uh, whether it's under Republican or Democrat. And so I could see people who, uh, people who are even older than us, who have lived through multiple presidents, multiple, you know, parties controlling Washington. And they're like, oh, every time they just seem to always end up with the billionaires getting right. more billions. Right. and so they're rich folks, like going yeah. back to the, what we talked about earlier. I, yeah, I so think that that speaks to... I could see you being just like, I'm just not going to... Right. But I, I think that that speaks to the argument that we should pull um, money out of politics. Oh, yeah. But we're not pulling money out of anything in these United States because we're a capitalist society. So that's, that's, and then there's follow that. the money trail. And then and there's that. You can't volunteer if you don't have money. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. Because, uh, and and this is when I think there's gonna be a third party next time. Like, well, I mean, there's a, but like a bigger, bigger like, I absolutely like a more legitimized. Yeah. yeah, because right now the people who they're not associated with Sanders anymore, but they uh, ran his campaign that he just finished, and they're starting a different party. He hasn't come along, but uh, they're trying to convince him to come along by building the infrastructure and showing that they can actually do it. And uh, I think he's going to actually end up doing it. And not only that. And now the reason I like their strategy is because normally third parties just say, okay, we got Ralph Nader. We're just going to run this guy. But there's nothing beneath that. They're trying to run. I think they call themselves. Yeah, they're doing all the down bell. They're already doing it. Which is the way to do it, in my yeah. in my thought. If you're going to actually be some sort of force in, in these United States where it is a leg- it's a two-party system for real, it can be multi-party if you're willing to put in the work. It's not going to happen overnight. And it would be better if you started in the down ballot um, um, areas and moved in. You, your, your local councilman, let that take over. I think we're primed for that because millennials yeah. just think completely differently Different. 
than whatever generation is before. You know, they kind of just got a blob. Like, they were called, there was a X and Y. Or whatever they were, oh, but yeah. like, and then the generation before them, like, millennials are just, a, of course, of a different color, just in mm-hmm. all different areas. So, it's just, right yeah, the soil is fertile for that. Yeah. Like, um, with the, what I really think they need to do, I, I was listening to this interview from, I think it was Ralph Nader. He did an interview. And he was, yeah, well, probably a couple months ago. But he was talking about what he thought the Democratic Party should be. And then he, but he started with talking about what it used to be, like way back in like the 30s or whatever. And he was like, it was a community organization. And so the Democrats would go out and help people do stuff. So like regular stuff. So there's a pipe bust on your street. The Democrats will come out and help, you know, mend the pipe to at least keep it from leaking until the city can get to it, stuff like that. And so they had an actual connection to the to the to the city and the neighborhoods. And then people in the neighborhood seeing that would want to join it, just like a club, mm-hmm. right? And so he was saying that what he thinks a modern version of a party doesn't have to be Democrats, but a party should be is stuff like that where uh, you have members in every city who are real people who their whole purpose is just to be able to help people in their immediate community. It doesn't have to be the whole state or whatever, just their immediate community because then people start to internalize that positive image and, you know, they actually are doing positive right. things, which organizations are strange things because even though they're made up of a bunch of individuals, they come together to be like a weird thing in themselves. Mm-hmm. And when you have something positive at the heart of an organization and people are doing something good just because it's good, the organization that trickles up to everybody, right? Because, you know, that's where their roots are. But then he had a second part that I thought was more interesting. He was saying, why not give benefits through a party? He was saying if a party was big enough, which a major national party is big enough, 30, 40, 50 million members, why not offer health care through your party? And so people in communities can join the Democratic Party, get insurance, and they're getting a cheap rate because an insurance company is going to give you good rates on 60 million people. Right. So I, I, was, I was like, wow, that's pretty brilliant, actually. Yeah, he's a brilliant man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he was just saying you have to make it a part of people's real life. Like, yeah. this party helps me how? Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I think that originally that might have been the goal of you know these parties was to help literally touch and feel your constituency and do what needs to be you done. You think so? I, that is, that's, um, that's very altruistic. I try to, you know, be hopeful sometimes. But I hope, my hope is that that was the original intent of the party. That wasn't the original intent of anything in these United States. You're right. To help it was us. It wasn't Maybe to help people. us. People. people. No, 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 not us. No, let me clarify. Not us, because no one ever helps us. We help us, right? But to help the people in general, I, I would hope help that that would do what you know live. I don't know. I mean, there was five minutes when the Democratic Party like stood up for workers, like literally five. It was like in the forties or something. <laughs> <laughs> but but after that, they just started breaking unions. I mean, that was one of Clinton's biggest things was breaking unions. You know, and I always tell people I've never worked in a unionized um, industry, but I never understood it until my mom moved to California. My mom is a RN. They don't play that in California. No, they not a union pro-employee state. Yeah, like she got in this union and they had all kinds of benefits. 
Like if you got hurt and there's disability, like, and you can't just fire them for no yeah, reason. Yeah. You can't just have like some disagreement with them and fire them like they do other places. I re- recently, well, and I say recently because I've been working for my agency for 10 years and I didn't join the union until last year. But I don't think that I realized how important unions were and what they actually do for the people until I was up close and personal with our union stewards on, they, they're on my hallway in, at, you know, in my office. And I got to see the, the up close and personal for as, as much as they could share. Cause you know, it's private information you're dealing with there, who they were helping and how they were helping there were people who wouldn't be employed. You know how hard it is to terminate an employee from the federal government. That's why is because we have unions, we have a, a, a CBA. And if your union steward is bad. Collective bargaining agreement. Sorry, collective bargaining agreement. Your CBA is, is the Bible for what your employer can and cannot do to you. And if you don't have a steward who knows it back and forth, your employer, if they can, even the federal government, if they can get away with it, if they can push, they will do it. But literally, people died so that we could have unions. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like one day the Democratic Party was like, tap, 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 tap. Hey, Republicans, <laughs> what do you think about protecting blue-collar workers? What none of that. And you know that unions were born when white people were the blue-collar mass, right? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they still are. I mean, that that's part of Trump's rhetoric that got him elected, right? They make great money being blue-collar versus us, right? But... Um, even that was just like struggle and, and, and violence and, and have, you know what I mean? People literally died so that we could have unions. So, I mean, I, I, I don't pop, maybe the Dems at one point, like push the, push the unions. But I mean, th- there was a lot of struggle there. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't like, they didn't welcome them with it wasn't arms. anybody's top of mind thing to help. It wasn't any business owner, which is typically what, um, people who had parties are made of wasn't anybody any CEO's first mind to give the workers you know human rights workers are and I'm speaking from a personal experience with you know the, 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 the governmental body that I'm employed by nobody cares about the workers when I said if, you're, if your employer can push the button and, and, and get away with it and no one check them, no one will check them and they will continue and they will abuse you because what they want you to do is make them money. And if it ain't making them money, they're not trying to hear you. So putting more restriction, putting more regulation, putting more anything on what an employer can do to you as an employee is the exact opposite of what it means to make money for them. Cause that's costing them money and it's problematic, right? That this, that you don't even care about the health of your employees. Like they can't do the work yeah. if they over there dying, <laughs> you know, like they can't do what you were paying them to do to make you more money. If they over there and can't barely put food on their table, you know what I'm saying? This is what I don't understand about businesses. Like, so instead of pushing, instead of, pushing if i were a business like big business i would be pushing for universal health care because then i don't have to pay for people's health care you gonna pay for it one way or the other like you, know, you I mean, paid on the front you know the back end i would rather pay it on the front here you know what take this pocket of money and go get yourself healthy so that you can work 
But they are, even if a, whatever a company is paying for, they're not really paying for, right? So with tax, the tax code right. and everything, they get so many write-offs. Right. I mean, if they were literally, you know, paying if every company was literally paying for every employee to be insured, which you know they try to get out of, you work 39.5 hours a week or you're exempt, you're not exempt, like there are all these caveats around it anyway. But if they were literally paying for every employee, then it would be different. Yeah. But they, on the back end, you know, they are getting tax breaks and other things that it's, that de-incentivize universal health care. But if that really is, they're really cutting a check, it would be a completely different conversation. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I didn't think about that. So, that, I mean, that really does explain that. I mean, you would think that you would want at least a... But then again, back to what you say, they don't care about the workers, so so no, because they can find other workers. They go to a different country. Dad, or, let me go find somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> let me outsource. Send your, send your parents a flower. Right. Flower. Let me outsource you to India or whatever. Well, I remember when I was working at my last company, they sent me to India to train some guys, right? And I get there, and I'm sitting there. They're really nice guys. Uh, and we go to dinner or whatever, and they start talking they were like trying to figure out how much less they were getting paid than everybody because they were like kind of asking these questions and like hitting around. And I didn't know how much they got paid either. Like I just went over to trade them. So uh, I just started talking to them and like feeling them out. And, and we were like talking hypothetically. I was like, well, hypothetically. <laughs> like somebody. And they were like, it was like $11,000, $12,000. And this is a job that the, the job they were doing that would be, you know, 70 between 70 and 90 here. here somewhere depending on your experience but they're getting paid 11 twelve thousand dollars is the cost uh, of living that low there it is but it's still exploitation okay you know i mean yeah. it, it is but you could pay them because it, it, it's not like they're living like kings on that they're living fine mm -hmm. they, they have a fine life but they could be doing a lot better and the company could still save money. If right. you doubled their pay, right. they would be doing much better. And the company would still save a bunch of money, yeah. you know, regardless of what you think about offshore. So, right. but, so that's the, that is the one thing that I think we never talk about with offshoring is the fact that not only do we allow them to take the livelihood of people here, we allow them to then exploit right. the people over there. Right. I mean, the guys I'm talking about were in much better shape than got than people maybe in Asia mm -hmm. who are getting paid a dollar or two dollars a day, something like that, to work in some terrible factory. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the fact that that never comes up, just forget the fact that, you know, Apple shipped a bunch of jobs. Right. How about the fact they have a bunch of human beings working for a couple bucks a day? Right. You know, that's. Yeah. I mean, that requires empathy, though. Yeah. And awareness. And awareness. Because when you when I when I even as aware as I am, when I open my iPhone, I don't think about that. I don't think about, you know, or when I swipe my debit card at Target that, you know, they are they are supposedly I don't know if this is I've read multiple times, but I don't I don't know how it can be verified, but that they are a major um funder of the prison industrial complex and get a big payout from that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're just living. And that's and that that's the sucky thing about the supremacy, right? Because we all buy in for survival. You know, we're buying, we're, we're, we're benefiting from it on one end and then getting harmed from it on the other end. You know what I mean? Because it's the whole system. Back to my earlier point, because nothing is by accident. This is all by design. Yeah. Well, when, when the system, um, when the system is sick, 
then everybody living within it right. is also going to have some of that same sickness. Yeah, but like some of us, you know, varying degrees, right? Some of us have a little sneeze, a little sniffle, mm-hmm. cold, cough. Some of us are like hacking out a lung, right? Yeah. We all, it impacts us on the back end in varying degrees. But I mean, I think about that all the time because one of the biggest things that I'm always worried about, like you mentioned earlier, is like the climate. Because I read all the climate stuff, like that's what I, I do it literally every day. And you see the stuff they're saying, and they is getting to the point where they don't, they're not able to accurately model, you know, because it's going much faster mm-hmm. than what they thought it was. Stuff that they thought was going to be happening in 2030 it might happen this summer. Like they were saying the Arctic might be ice free mm-hmm. this summer. Um, and so that's worrying. But you can't, but then it's also abstract, right? Because you can't. Cause then you just had to get up and you, I got a meeting at three thirty. Exactly. you know? So <laughs> right. you're exactly right. right. So, so it's, it's, it's weird. I always say like, um, this modern culture we have is sort of virtual. And one of the main problems we have is that we put the virtual ahead of, um, what's real. Mm-hmm. Right. So money is more important than the environment. Right. And you, you, you have a, uh, a infinite growth paradigm that they teach you in business school where you're supposed to grow every year consistently, but you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. It's not, right. it's not physically right. possible. Right. So we're now getting to the point where we're coming to the limits of that, mm-hmm. of how much we can exploit the planet and we've lost our connection with it. Oh, well, we're trying to, like, go colonize other planets. Don't worry about oh, it. Oh, I mean, we're trying to, like, get water from Mars and colonize Mars and... You know, enslave the Martians. It's cool. Oh, Basically. <laughs> That's where we at right now. Ser- like, I'm legit. Here. That is legit what we are doing. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I do, I do have like the secret fear that that's what Musk is really all about. Like, that, like he really is just like, I'm not gonna tell him, but uh, I'm leaving. And all this company stuff is really just about me and mine getting on the rocket and going. I don't think that's still gonna work though. You're not gonna have people living in other, no, on other planets because it's just not. We're not built for that. If they can extrapolate some money out of it, it's happening. But, but the fact that they won't even try, and I'm not saying explore space. I think it's cool to explore space. I don't think you should be able to try to live out there. Like, go and come back. But, or send a robot. That's what you should be sending a robot <laughs> for instead of just sending them to shoot people. But, so that's fine. But you can't, our bodies aren't made for it. We can't live out there. But I think the fact that they would even try is a symptom of the sickness in our current culture because it assumes that you're something different from the earth. That you can just get up and go anywhere, and as long as there's air and water and food, I can live. That's not how it works. It's a symptom of um, colonizing, more so than our current condition. Because, you know, you think about how little people knew about the world, and Christopher Columbus had his ASS all, you know, he thought the earth was flat, and he just floated around, and there are people, this is my land now. Like, you know what I mean? I discovered it. It's just a symptom of, of, of colonization. Like that, that is, that is the, and that's the crux of our, our, um, our country and the countries that our country came from, right? Like the frontier and, you know, we put our flag down and we, no, you decimate people and you, and you, and you, you stole you this land and you say, this is mine. Basically. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a country founded on genocide and built by slavery. And it's a country, it's a country founded 
by people from countries based on genocide. Right. And this didn't start with the United States. No. You know, no. Th- that was the culture in Europe. You know, they have colonies all over the world right now. There is a British Virgin Islands. You know what I mean? There, there is a Haiti. You know what I mean? So there, this was a thing even before the United States. Yeah. I, and... One of the problems I think we're having is we're running out of we've well we've run out of places to colonize, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> but the, oh, they have a lot of plans. They have a plan like so. Uh, when Ob- Obama changed the mission from NASA, they were supposed to be going trying to put people on Mars. He changed the mission to going to retrieve an asteroid or a comet or something from a comet belt and bring it close to Earth so they could study it. And what that was actually about is they think there's a lot of minerals out there. Like but you can monetize yeah. it. Yeah. If, because, what did she what did Brittany just say? If we can make a dollar <laughs> off of it, that's what we're gonna do. And so they and so that that's what they are now going to try to do is mine space by going out and grabbing asteroids where there's like more gold in one of them than all the gold we've ever found. I just wanna create an app. I mean that's it. Like I don't have like uh, modest yeah, dreams. I don't need everybody's money. I just, just some. need you just know, some. fifty thousand subscribers to my app. <laughs> Maybe I, I don't dream big enough. I don't have <laughs> colonial dreams. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I always wonder, and, and this has come up on multiple podcasts, but I always wonder how is it just a different mindset? Because most people, if you give them like ten million dollars, might be the last time you hear it from them. And then there's other people who are like, "I need a billion Yeah, you know, and it's like. I, I'm, maybe I'm just too lazy for that. Right. Matter of fact, I'm absolutely simple. too lazy for that. Simple. Yeah, I'm. I'm. No, I can't. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just don't want to harm people. You know, call me a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to harm people. I want to. I want to live in peace and harmony with the earth mm-hmm. and the, the people. The earth. The earth. earth and the people. Like I don't. I mean, I don't feel like in order for me to be successful, I have to step on you and you and you to do it and then on top of that i don't have to kill every living thing in order to do it like i don't i don't feel like i have to do that there aren't enough people like us i don't think no i would i think people are how do i put this a lot of people are well-meaning but they're just ignorant to the point where it makes them uh about certain topics everybody's ignorant about something y'all are lawyers i'm ignorant about what y'all do on a daily basis right um but there's a certain cultural ignorance that we have and it comes from not acknowledging the truth in anything the united states never admits it's wrong for anything um and it's not even i mean yeah slavery yeah the indians but even stuff just today like the the disparities that we know are there and that the government has admitted is there in the criminal justice system they haven't addressed them right. and uh, do you know I, how long it took for them to admit that it was a problem and not all of them admit that it's a problem you know it wasn't until it was in there, right? but the airline industry is about to have a major overhaul <laughs> however because the doctor was pulled off a plane beat up and paid handsomely i was about to say i'll take that beating <laughs> I, mean, I mean you know jokes aside that happened what um, about a month ago? Yeah, within, right before I flew United. <laughs> within <laughs> weeks, they were talking about having um, congressional hearings to discuss and what are we gonna do about it? Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody like. And what percentage of the American population flies? Mm-hmm. It's very small. So then, compared to drive on streets and walk around. 
and interact with police officers. Leave yeah. parties, you know, yeah. hanging out with your friends. But, but then you look at Alton Sterling, and he still hasn't gotten any justice, and he probably won't. So, I mean, I guess the interesting thing, the, the guy in Baltimore Springs actually did get charged and arrested mm-hmm. and all that. We'll see where it goes. That doesn't mean anything. Right. I mean, I, I was uh, reading a um, – I'm going to pull it up, actually, because it, I was like – it articulated exactly how I've been feeling. Um, the thing about no justice. Mm-hmm. I um, was reading a, a – I follow a lot of blogs, and I'm, you know – whatever on that, but I follow a lot of blogs online and some of them are social justice related and some of them are not. Um, but, uh, I follow son of Baldwin and he had like the six point layout of what happens when America, the state of Texas, anybody acknowledges that there might've been a problem with something that the dealing with the criminal justice system. And it, 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 it struck me. It like it hit me like a ton of bricks. That is exactly why I'm feeling like meh. To the, I am with the announcement that he that that Dallas DA's office had decided to charge him with murder. Meh. The predictability of white supremacy. One, when the criminal is white, evoke mental health to elicit sympathy from the public. Two, tout any good things the white criminal has ever done in their life and excuse minimize any bad things they've done. Three, make the white criminal the victim above and beyond the actual victim, especially if the actual victim is black or brown. Four, overcharge the white criminal to ensure that a mostly white or all white jury has sufficient legal room to come back with a not guilty verdict. Ooh, that one hit me hard right there in the chest. Five, demonize the actual victim and claim that they are responsible for their own death. Six, claim that race has nothing to do with it. That's basically a playbook. Blow by blow. It hit me like six shots to my body like oh my god because that's exactly what's happened the first thing we heard was that this officer felt threatened because the car was being backed up ain't nobody addressed the fact that that man lied that he conveniently forgot that he had a um a body cam cam on and that it was going to come out that that wasn't accurate wasn't accurate bullcrap that he lied Lied. Oh, it was an error. We rushed to get the report out, and now we have more information. And he wasn't backing up aggressively. He was driving away. But after we had, there's still reasoning behind why he was lawful in his thought process. What does that video show? That in this short period of time, they decided to go with murder. And not that I have a problem with him being charged with murder, because I feel like he's a murderer. However, comma. Knowing what I know with what it takes to get to get that kind of charge to actually go through, I don't trust it. Mm-hmm. I don't trust the system. I don't think it's going to work. So, so is it harder to get a conviction on that? Beyond a reasonable doubt is legit beyond a reasonable doubt. If anybody has any ounce of doubt that he that there was an intentional shot for, was it first degree murder they charged him with? Or just murder. I just saw murder charge. I, 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 I don't know what the level of, of the charge is. Yeah, because when I read it, it just said murder charges. I was like, mm, that's weird. And 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 because there are different levels. I don't know. I think shooting shooting into a car that's driving away is. I, I think they could get a murder. I, I think a murder charge could stick. But that's just maybe I'm being optimistic because 
he shot into a vehicle that was driving away. An officer in Cleveland shot into a crowd while he was walking away. That man is free. But at least with the crowd, people were outside of the car. They were walking around. Like, you could kind of massage that to say he felt some type of threat before he walked away. The officer approached them and shot into their car. He didn't know who was in the car. There was no, no threat, no imminent danger. He shot into a moving vehicle. And that, I think, for a reasonable jury person, that could have been anybody's kid leaving a party that he shot, like, we're going to, like, uh, allow officers to shoot into cars. Because he didn't necessarily know, I mean, you could guess, but he didn't necessarily know that there were, like, black kids in the car. He was yeah. shooting in the cars. I, I, yeah, I, I'm a little bit jaded these days now. Because I just don't, be, I don't have a lot of trust. Absolutely. Because when I read it, it just seemed incomplete because it was like, well, he started, you know, like, he ran outside and then he saw a car and he started shooting. You don't just see a car and start sh shoot. But that brings but he, he had PTSD. Okay, so that brings me to my next point. Don't do now, this. <laughs> now we're worried about his his mental health. Well, y'all don't never be worried about anybody else. Even more health. reason to pull him out the force. Why was he working? Aware of that neg like negligence. But you just said you have just set yourself up for a multi million dollar lawsuit, baby. I want to be on that legal team because why was he working? Why was he even employed with a gun? I work with veterans all day, every day. Like they're my coworkers. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I don't want them having the the option to be able to, because they're an officer, get that kind of, I don't know. Shield? Shield. shield protection to just yeah. do whatever because they felt threatened. Uh -uh. And, I, and I'm not sure if what the Box Springs Police Department knew, or what this is the family, you know, saying that he had PTSD. But if that's documented, even more reason that he should not have been out patrolling People, never mind that in our peer countries, in all but like what one or two municipal police do not carry guns, they're not armed. Why do you need a gun for a traffic stop? Are you SWAT? That goes back to a whole nother thing, though, right? The fact that we have all these guns out here, right? Right? I mean, does the community have guns? Yeah, I mean, when you got, I think there's more guns than people in this country, so that, that's something that that's a problem Europe doesn't have because they don't allow, and I think you should be able to have some guns like you know people who are hunters and stuff like that but th we we give them out like just to anybody yeah. you know it doesn't matter I'll if you're like yeah it doesn't matter if you have a mental problem yeah. or you're anything domestic violence you know somebody has a restraining order against, against you. you you know they're, they're the nra is a very very successful um, lobbying. lobbying group and they make sure that any and everybody who wants a gun can get one Except for felons, black felons. <laughs> I, let me be very specific. Yeah. So I mean, so what do y'all think can be done? I have my own opinions about it. I'll give it in a second. But and and I say when I say what can be done, I I mean in this system as a whole, because we could talk about it from criminal justice. But the problems in criminal justice are the same problems we have in Absolutely. every other part of right. the, of the. Of, of our society. So, I mean, what, in your opinion, what do you think can really be done? Because I'm kind of dubious that it's just we're waiting for the right politician because I, it can't be that way because you're going to be waiting a long time. What, what do they say? I'm, I'm not an addict, but I, I, what do they say when you're in some sort of the, the, the Addicts Anonymous groups? Um, the first step to oh, dealing with a problem is like accepting that you have a problem. <laughs> we will start there. Let's acknowledge 
nationwide that there's a problem and then make steps to actually deal with the problem. Yeah, that's a good point because there's definitely like, you know, like an Anne Frank Museum in Germany and we don't have anything like that acknowledging, you know, the wrongs of this country. And we'll have heritage type museums and cultural appreciation for which there's complaints about. <laughs> but we don't we don't acknowledge, you know, the systemic issues because they're current. I mean, and that 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 that's the difficulty. I know um, I have my own critiques about, you know, the backlash against like slave shows and slave movies. But the reason why they're so hard to watch is because not enough has changed. Yeah. You know, there are, you know, storylines and things that are like, oh my God, like it would be much easier to watch even as a black person if it was his, if it was truly history. Um, Kiosh and I went to the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg like uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And it was like, uh, they were, there were some videos they were showing of a young Nelson Mandela. He was much more radical, you know, prior to prison and his friends. And it was like, same conversations we have in discussion. Same, even um, when somebody shot by the police, they had conversations about that and, and what what happens then. Um, so, I mean. And that was late, like early 60s. In apartheid South Africa. Apartheid yeah. South Africa. Like that, that just happened. Like it hasn't been that long ago. I think that's the other thing is people are always there are some folks who are always why don't you just get over it move forward it's still happening we're still in it knee deep in it and whatever it is that you think is in the past was just 50 years ago and my response is always you first after you because you know my life my literal survival is dependent on me knowing you know what dangers are present you know i don't have the luxury of blinders. You know, mm. that is literally dangerous for me stepping into a minefield. So if you want me to get over it, you get over it first. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You 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 make our lives equitable. But because of capitalism, equity means if I have a dollar and I got a dollar because I'm, you know, seven generation slave money, I gotta give you fifty cents. That ain't never gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So to answer your question about like what we can do um to try to um address it, um I, I'm definitely. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be like Eeyore, you know. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make the blanking statement that's like it's raging in my head. But I think there are like tangible things that we can do to help our to help ourselves and our communities. I think that it's unfortunate, you know. It's it's the classic. It's not your fault, but it's your problem situation. Because it sucks that I just can't be like my classmates and go to work and go home, you know. Because I I have to. Um, disengage from the Alps and Starlings and the, the different things that happen because it's in my nature to do. Like, I can't just be able to help and not help. So I think we all have ways that we can help. Um, everybody, I know we just had an election. Everybody, and you know, if you didn't vote in the election, whatever, everybody registered to vote. So maybe if you live in Dallas County, you can be called for that jury, you know, um, for this officer. You know what I mean? Um what else is free that you can do? You can, um, you know, uh, Lee Merritt and the other attorneys that are assisting with the family, you can donate to their Justice League fund because to Kasha's point, they work for very, very reduced rates and they depend on, um, you know, people who strangers. care to, to help and offset those legal fees because it's not like you're paying for the, the life on their office. You're paying for them to file things. 
for them to fly and do different, you know, press conferences and talk to different people for them to, everything costs money, yeah. you know, in this country. So that's something that everybody could give, you know, if everybody could get $5, you know what I mean? And, and help them. Um, they maybe they could hire more attorneys, you know what I mean? So, and everybody doesn't have to be pro bono. Um, so those are ways that you can help. Um, the, the jury, the jury duty thing is, is, is really, key. is really important because there are, for every hashtag, you know, there are 20 nameless people. Um, and so we really, this, this is the political process that we have. And while it's imperfect, um, I, I would love to see the day that so many of us got engaged that they had to move the ball. Cause they're, you know, they're, the ball is always going to move if, if so many of us, you know, overburdening the system, but we haven't done that to this point. So show up um, to your city council meetings, email them, email tweet them, them, tweet them. Call them. Call them. Yeah, All that is free. All that is free. Show show up and make noise. Ask questions. Well, there's a pothole on MLK. It's been there for 10 years. When you going to fix it? And nag them until it gets done. Squeak The squeaky wheel really does get, get the grease mm-hmm. in situations like this. So, you know, you're looking for something to do and you're maybe not in a financial position to do other things take off work and go march or whatever it is do what you can do you know yeah i think um i guess starting from where you started um i I once heard trevor noah talk about you know he's from uh, south africa and he was talking about the difference between because they've had a, a similar um experience there and he was saying the difference between the U.S. and South Africa, he was like, the South Africa still has their issues. They're still working through it to this day and will for a long time. But he was saying the one difference that there is is that they actually acknowledged everything. And he was like, the way he explained it was um, black people in South Africa had felt like uh, almost like a crazy man. Like they keep saying, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And everybody else keeps saying, no, it's just an anomaly. It's just whatever. And he was like, just the fact that they acknowledged it, there was an official apology, there was an official acknowledgement of yes, we have been undermining your 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 culture this entire time. This has been an institutional thing. This has been and laid out publicly, and there was a an actual sort of mea culpa type of thing. Now that doesn't fix all the actual problems out there in the world, but it's a start and. In America, he was saying that they never got that start. It's taboo yeah. to talk about race. They never had that start. Well, that wasn't my that race. was my ancestors. It didn't have anything to do with me. I didn't own slaves. That's true. But as a country, and and this is the hard part that's that where it gets hard to explain to people because the person that says that is right. They didn't own slaves. They weren't around then. That stuff that happened was not their fault. But at the same time, you have to look at at society as a almost as a clock. Right. And we, we all we don't all start from the same spot. And if you're in a family and maybe your um, your dad owned a business and that's great. Your dad started a business, built a business and he can pass it on to you or um, not even that. Maybe. So one of the greatest predictors of whether somebody's going to go to college or do a cert- certain things is whether their parents did. Right. And that's why it's always such a big deal to break the cycle and become the first person in your family to go to college. So if you but if you weren't allowed to go to school for 100 years and and now human beings, no matter what race you are, 
what is possible for you depends on what you see in your environment. When you grow up in an environment and you've never known anybody who went to college, going to college to those kind of kids is like going to the NBA to most guys. Like it's something you know is possible, but it's not for you, you know. And and I, I don't think people understand um, how damaging that can be to a, a culture. They absolutely to a, understand because it's on purpose. I mean, somebody gets it, and that's, that's but but I'm saying the general public right. because and the problem is they're not really educated about it. I, like the history we get in high school is really washed. I, I mean, you know, you know, like the whole my grandparents didn't own slaves, but Baylor did, UT did, A and M did. That's how you know we got these institutions. University of Virginia did, Merrill Lynch did. You know what I mean? Like just like you. Um, you can inherit your dad's business or his blue eyes. You know, you inherited his his oppression money. We'll call it that. Slaves is a wordy dirt. You inherited, <laughs> you know, your great 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 grandparents' oppression money. I mean, there are there are weddings. There are the one of the most popular wedding venues right now in the South are various plantations in New Orleans and Dallas. Mm -hmm. There are. Um, you know, Prairie View is like one of the, their major streets is called Plantation Plantation Parkway mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, and there are, my sister met somebody not too long ago who, you know, was talking just because we're so impressed with wealth at this point, right? In this country, right? We are obsessed with wealth and we don't think about, you know, we have all these Horatio algorithms and these self-made people and that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Talking about people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps when some people didn't even have feet and that's intentional but this woman was like bragging to my sister about um a family from louisiana that was so wealthy and they made their money in cotton pause so removed pause. so so to that i say you know what i mean we don't have wealth in the united states absent of oppression of african people and indigenous people so to say that, you know, my, um, I didn't own slaves, you own slave privilege and you will, you will, um, pro hold on to it with your lifeless hands. From your, you know, from you know your cold I mean? And it, to your point, even beyond the neighborhood, let's talk about middle-class black people. We fight so hard for that little piece of spot. Um, my neighbors who I have, I live in Irving, like you do, I have a lot, very diverse, um, neighborhood. And my neighbors who, I don't have one white neighbor that graduated from college. Meanwhile. But we, 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 we went through my credentials during the intro. And all of my neighbors who are not white, and that could be a number of different ethnicities represented, right, are double degree holders. And when I talk to my friends, I ask my friends, what do your next door neighbors do? And it's typically mechanic or something, you know, um, blue collar. And and what do we have to do to get to that point? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just I mean, and, and when you were talking, I was thinking about my own home city. Like, so New Orleans, I mean, there's, you know, I love New Orleans, but it has its problems. Definitely. I love New Orleans, too. Oh, my God. I was just there a couple weeks ago. But but, but like all the stuff that people go there to visit the French Quarter or if it's uptown and all the nice mansions up there and all, it's all built by slaves. And so to the extent that New Orleans has any money or anybody cares that it's there, that's why, you know, and that's something that people don't even acknowledge ever. And it's really interesting because right now in New Orleans, there's a big 
thing. I don't know if y'all heard about it, with the Confederate monuments. Oh, yeah, oh, they're taking them down. Taking them down. Read, yeah. They're yeah. taking them down. And, and this is, it's just funny because it takes a certain thing to peel the scab off of certain wounds in our society. And I would have never thought, because I saw all these monuments growing up, and I always wondered, like, why we still have this here? Why don't we take this down? If they south, it's because the south shall rise again, <laughs> honey. But when they were taking it out, it was so controversial that they had to cover the faces of the workers who were... So they wouldn't find them and they yeah. Weren't they doing it at night? Yeah, they were doing it at night and they were, because they were scared of retribution and they had all, police circling the area to try to you know, keep anybody out of there. And I was like, I didn't realize... I mean, I knew y'all wanted to keep them. I didn't realize you wanted to keep them that bad. I mean, there were there was discussion. I want to say a year or so ago about wanting to remove. We have the was it the Robert E. Lee statue at UT or was it Jefferson Davis? Jefferson, okay. But it was a thing. Like they finally removed it, but it was a thing. Like blew up the university's campus with regards to why would you remove that as a piece of history, blah, 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 blah. It was a thing. And I'm like, y'all don't even understand what, why this is problematic. Meanwhile, the, the MLK statue, which at the time was like the only MLK statue in the South outside of Atlanta, egged on a regular basis. Yeah, definitely defaced. De defaced on a regular basis. No one sees that that's problematic. This is what's going on. Well, what makes I mean I'm curious about it because I hear this a lot. So, um, what makes you two think that nobody sees it or that it that people don't? Do people actually ever tell you guys? No, I think they see it. I don't think true. they care. What, what do you mean when nobody sees it? That you know, the that the disparities or you know like maybe 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 I don't. And I, sometimes I think this. Sometimes I think I'm. I don't even want to acknowledge, like subconsciously don't want to acknowledge how bad it might be because that's kind of scary. Um, it's the same way I feel about a few things, but yeah, definitely there, I, I can see that because you want to think that people are good people because, mm -hmm. because honestly, most people, when you meet them, whether they like you or dislike you for your race, um, they don't act any different. So you don't know. Right. And so you can sort of, fool yourself into thinking, well, he's all right on a one-on-one -on -one basis or something. Yeah. But really, no, he's just like, no, he walked in my shop and I'm not going to turn away money, so whatever. You know, but if you, he's not going to invite you to his house, though, you know. So, I, and, and this is why I was saying that thing in New Orleans with the, with it being such a big deal, where I, I figured people would yell and scream about it because anytime you change something, mm -hmm. people yell and scream. I didn't think people would be threatening anybody's right. lives over it or anything like that. And so I guess that was just naivete on my on my part. Well, I mean, like, when, like the the people who say that, like, I kind of am hearing a sentiment from, you know, people who are not black saying, I didn't have slaves, racism doesn't exist. Like, do you really think that they, do people really say that And besides, like, the Breitbart crew, right? And then does, do you think they really believe that? I think some of them do. I mean, it, it depends on the person, obviously, but some people are just naive and they just grew up and they never were around black people, so they assume it's okay. Maybe they have some friends, have some black friends or whatever. Um, and so they don't see all the stuff because there's some stuff that I didn't know about 
So I know other people might not know about it, and I eventually find out. But um, so I think there is that group. But I think other people just don't care. Yeah, I think that's more apathy than anything. And like going back to the whole when I was like researching, trying to understand how Trump voters were thinking. Uh, one of the big contingents was like a business group that just wanted like lower taxes and all the regular mm-hmm. stuff. And I was, when I would listen, I listened to a bunch of like shows like on YouTube that they had. And I was uh, shocked because they didn't bring anything up about the wall, the Mexicans or women or all that. And it was irrelevant to them, mm-hmm. which is a form of racism in itself. Right. Just, but it was irrelevant to them. And I was like, wow, these guys really, they're sitting up here having a whole conversation about Trump and they haven't, they're just talking about it on the facts of, okay, well, he's trying to put together a tax plan and blah, 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 blah. Not thinking about the entire picture, which is much bigger than any individual bill he's trying to. That's supremacy. They're afforded a position where they don't have to care about the wall or the law and order candidate is going to shut Chicago down. They don't have to care about that. So that doesn't affect them directly. Like when they talked about the wall, they talked about it in terms of they didn't want to spend money on it. That was, it wasn't that they were against it. They just didn't want to spend money because their the supremacy allows them the, the the affords them the ability and and the placement in life to not have to be worried about those sorts of things to not be concerned mm. about that. I don't have that luxury. You know what you kind of do though. Like there's supremacy and then there's varying levels of privilege. Um, I'm just I'm not gonna lie. Like I am really disappointed in the black middle class in this current climate um the attorneys like myself the the doctors the accountants the uh black greek letter organizations the hbcus um that's our mass you know that's where our that's where our power and wealth resides and um i i i think that um like for just all the different opportunities that are available to assist and the fact that, like, um, it almost seems like it has to be like a, and, and this, this is not unique to the black middle class, but I am disappointed in the black middle class for doing this. It has to be, like, cute or sexy. Like, it was real cute and sexy to go down to DFW Airport and, yeah. um, you know, you know what I mean, and, um, and sit in and help people, you know, um, that were coming in or, you know, with immigration and deportation issues. But it wasn't cute and sexy when they turned their veteran away at Chili's. You know, there, there are we have opportunities to help every single day that we decide not to because we have that luxury. Somebody, the reason why I was so passionate about Jacqueline Craig, Jacqueline Craig was a the young lady, or well, the woman in Fort Worth in December, who her son was assaulted by the officer, and um, her and uh, two of her daughters were arrested. Um, during the, the reason why I was so passionate about that is because this is an opportunity to get in front of police brutality before somebody dies. Yeah. Why does somebody have to be shot in the back of the head for us to move? And by move, I mean Twitter fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much that we can do. There's so much power that we can have. I'm not telling you to go out and, you know, recreate the Montgomery bus boycott and lose your job. But you can volunteer two or three hours a week. To help, there there are so many issues, and let's say you don't want to do those controversial, um, hot button issues. There's food banks, mm-hmm. you know. There are um, 
you know, sex trafficking centers. There are opportunities to mentor. Right. Also, there there are schools. You know what I mean? The, the schools, the kids that you complain about all the time. You know what I mean? The, all they all DISD requires is a background check, and you in there, you can come as often as you want. So um, don't I, donate money. Though though we are not the recipients of uh, on the beneficiary side of white supremacy, we are definitely definitely privileged, mm-hmm. and many of us choose to opt out more than we choose to opt in. I think that's very true. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I think um, what I was going to say about what I think we can do is everything you guys talked about was great. But I think on a larger scale, the only way, like in terms of protesting and all that kind of stuff, uh, the only way you're going to make any progress is to talk to power in the, in the language that it understands, which is money. And that really is what would turn it around if and I don't know how to do this, but you would have to organize not just protests, but protests that were sort of economic protests. So with the Jacqueline Craig thing incident, um, the, uh, the, the, the frontline organizer suggested a boycott of various business, businesses in the city of Fort Worth um, for a certain period of time, starting with the stock show, which is one of the biggest revenue makers for the city. And it was especially poignant because it was a couple um, week. It was a couple days before uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which was is traditionally the Cowboys of Color rodeo, and in, in uh, Fort Worth uh, with the, the Fort Worth Stock Show, where there is um, there's like cowboys of like African descent, Asian descent. There's Latina cowgirls. Um, there's just different things than what's typically. At the rodeo, it's a tradition. Um, and some people were picketing, and then they were like, we're just asking people not to go to the rodeo. The rodeo had already sold out. Um, the Cowboys of Color, from my understanding, had made their money. They're like, just don't show up. You know, if you if it's empty, you know what I mean, That that's going to kick off our boycott, and then we're going to, like, target these businesses to. Do you know how much resistance I was met with asking people who don't even go to the rodeo to not go to the rodeo? And there, you know, and I, and people definitely they had um, questions about how it would impact the Cowboys of Color, but like I said, from my understanding, they had already been paid. Um, and people saying, you know, well, you know, this is the day that my kid. I mean, there was just so much resistance for that small thing. Um, we have to get to the point where we're uncomfortable and we're willing to make sacrifices. And shockingly enough, we're not the ma- for the masses. We're not. At that point, yet I think there was a boycott requested when that young lady was body slammed in McKinney. That was close to me. That that hit me real hard. My my cousin is going to be twenty one in October, and he like literally just graduated. Graduated the Saturday before that happened, and I had to be home, like be out of town for work. Like I came in for the graduation and turned, you turned around, back around and went back out of town for work. So that hurt me personally deep inside. I felt like I knew that little girl, like I knew her family because the the African American community in, in in McKinney isn't that big. I mean, it's big, but it's not that big. Like you feel like you might know the cousin of somebody's cousin. You ha- we might halfway be related, that sort of thing. And there was a request to just boycott the city of McKinney establishments. That was met with a lot of resistance. I had a hard time with it because that's home for me. I'm not even from McKinney, but my grandmother lives there. You know, my my family lives there, but it was hard for me. But I 
I ease my way. Let me move. Let me make my way to Dallas and drive 15, 20 minutes out of my way just so I can make a point. But that was met with resistance. We're not willing to make our, make ourselves uncomfortable to do something that could benefit us. Yeah. And that's a small thing. Like nobody's asking you to take up arms and, you know, go on the front line and get shot in the head. Like you're saying, like, don't go to the stock show this one year. <laughs> Where it's already, they already got their money, so you're actually not really. But I think that's the only way we're going to get anybody's attention. Because otherwise, what they do is they, they there are protesters out there and they just wait for it to die down. And the problem with our society is everybody's got to go to work, right? right. So. Right. We literally have a, a society since Trump came in where there's protests every weekend, mm -hmm. and then Monday it's like nothing ever happened, and then the next Saturday, right yeah. So people just kind of protest when they have time, but I think economically is where we can really make hay. Now the problem is getting enough people on board with that because people don't like to sacrifice anything. And that, that's where your HBCUs come in. That's where your Black Greek Letter organizations come in. That's where your National Bar Association, which is the Black lawyers, that's where the black doctors come in, like NABJ. You know, every in NABJ now, but Nesby. You know, every year, every summer, everybody's about to have these content, uh, conventions, right? And it's about to go down. And everybody has their, you know, three or four points of things that we could focus on. If everybody did a boycott, what what could we do? Man, yeah, you could change anything you wanted, yeah, because literally almost everything that happens in this country is connected to money. Right. So whether it was a local issue or a national issue, there's a company that's tied to that that you could target who has, you know, a senator, a president, or whoever that they can call and talk to and get the situation turned around. So that's really the only, only way you're going to do it. That and you got to get outside the Democrats and Republicans. That's not going to work. Agreed. Yeah, they haven't. I mean, I was... at. And uh, I was really disappointed this week when I saw Obama was going to do the little uh, speech. Yeah, yeah I, was. I was. I was. I was. I mean, I'd have took the job, too. <laughs> I'm just saying. Let that man make his money. But but it's, but he got like a $60 million book deal. He don't need to go there to do that speech. Yeah, Michelle like, just donated $2 million to the, to the after the, after, the, the summer. But work why work you got to go to Goldman Sachs? If you're going to give a speech, go give a speech to some kids or something. I mean, you can do that, too. He is doing but, that. I just I just didn't like it. I didn't I didn't like it when Hillary was doing it. I think the I think the difference I think the difference between when Hillary was doing it and when and when um, President Obama former President Obama is that that's exactly the difference. Hillary was running for president, knew that she wanted to run for president, was trying to be in in the in the political sphere. As far as we know, and you know, a politician is a politician. You have to take them at their word. But as far as we know, the Obamas. Plural, all of them are done with politics. Let them be regular citizens, right? What's the problem? What's the problem? It's not like they're trying to run for the highest office in the land and knew that going into those meetings when they were sitting down chumming it up. They didn't. I don't feel like it's the same. It's not, but I think it's the message it sends overall. Because like within the Democratic Party right now, there's a fight between them with one part of it wants to cut corporate money out and lobbyist money he was out. He corporate going in. He I didn't. Know. I know. Like I know that. I think that's my issue with it is nothing about him should have implied to us other than what he was saying that he was going to be different. And then when he showed us that he wasn't going to be different, we still acting like he got to be different. Up. Why are you fussed up? No, point it towards me. 
Thank you. That's why we got a zombie deal. I'm just saying, like, that's cute. That's cute, but he, we thought it was going to be different. He got in there and he proved to us that he wasn't going to be different. So why are we acting like he should be different now? I kind of hoped that in his post-presidency, he would turn around. But but you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You shouldn't expect if he gave you eight he told, years. He told you exactly who he was for the last eight years. Let that man be who he want to be. Yeah. It was a good photo op, though. It was a good photo op. That's what we got out of the Obama I mean, years. I, mad, mad love for the Obamas. And, and we need those symbolic wins. And we too, need right? those. We need those. But that's that's. I, I love Michelle. I liked Michelle more than him. Really. I think most people, people do. Did. I think she was. <laughs> I think she was critical in him yeah. winning. She seemed realer somehow. So I don't know. Maybe because he's not Hawaiian. But. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody from Hawaii. <laughs> You ever met somebody from Hawaii? Um, no, no. Exactly. There we go. You met somebody from Chicago? Yes. Thank you. All right. <laughs> well, no I have to thank the Hawaiians, yo. <laughs> no, no. I want to get that one day. So, but a black dude from Hawaii though? You met that guy? Yeah, it's just the one. So. <laughs> I'm sure there's a community there. <laughs> But I want to thank y'all. I mean, we were supposed to stick on sort of one topic, but y'all were so smart. And so y'all answers, or not answers, but just what y'all were talking about was so intelligent that I just wanted to go with it. And so it was an amazing. Thank you for coming out here Sunday. Y'all could have been doing anything. So I really appreciate well, I, it. Special thanks to Brittany because I was not going to come by myself. I'm just, that ain't me. But I appreciate it. Thank you, love. Well, y'all are both great. Y'all are both great. Awesome, awesome. Shout out to Mike, our studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, being real extra. <laughs> All right, hope everybody enjoyed. Thank y'all. Bye.